When you look at what is a bear market, what is a bull market, there is no universal definition. There are kind of commonly held definitions that a bear market begins when you're down 20% from the top, and a bull market begins when you're above the bottom of a bear, but you don't know what the bottom of the bear is until you're out of the bear. Yeah, I just read an article that suggested that a bull market begins when the S&P 500 is up 20% from a recent low point. But that's a new definition. I've never heard that one yeah, before. Yeah, I hadn't heard it before, but it, it's might as well. At least. Might, might as, as well. well. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together we are bald, and we purport to tell things of an interesting nature that would otherwise be boring. Well, maybe maybe we purport to tell things that are boring in that ways that would otherwise be interesting. I'm not sure if we've ever gotten that right ways forward and forward ways backwards, uh, inside out or upside down. One of those things. But we must begin with some disclosures. As any important uh, speaker should, they must first tell you all the things to be aware of before you're aware of anything else. The Personal Wealth Coach is not only the name of this program, which you would have never guessed by yourself, I'm sure. It also then is the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Um, But that doesn't mean that the SEC particularly likes that firm or dislikes that firm. It's just a regulatory agency. And the fiduciary investment advice side of things can't be offered on the radio or on a podcast because there's all kinds of privacy violations, presuming that we have any listeners at all, which is quite a presumption if you ask me. Uh, I'm not listening, and that's for one. So that's we've got at least negative one listener so far. Uh, so registered with the SEC, but can't give advice on the air. So what the heck are we doing on the air? We're just making noises, I guess. And the SEC does not approve or disapprove of this radio program. I, that's what I just said. They don't particularly yeah, like it. Yeah, I just had to say that. I just said that again. Yeah, but but do I approve or disapprove <clears throat> of you saying that? That's that. I I I can't tell if I can or not. Right. That's um, correct. So privacy issues say we can't give investment advice. There's a lot of other reasons we actually have to know everybody that's listening and all that stuff, which might be really easy if there's only one of you out there. Um, So on top of that, if we can't give advice, what are we doing? Well, hopefully giving some education. Hopefully what we tell you today leaves you with more knowledge in your brain that you wish to have there than was in there before doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be that you wish to have there. We are really good at giving information that is really hard to evict from your brain cavity once you get it. Or at least I have a brain cavity. Other people seem to have space in there. Thinking about renting a warehouse, leaving it empty, and calling it an air and space museum. (laughs) See, this space has been here for a long time. This air has been breathed by things and people. Has a great history. For a long time. For a long time, yes. It's a, it's, you can muse about it, which is thus it's a museum. Um, yes, but you have a disclosure you wish to give as well. Well, the information that we present on this educational radio 
program or Pres- internet program, as the case may be, right. has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the completeness or accuracy of said information. We do, however, guarantee and warranty that unsaid information is incomplete. True. Yes. That's, that is so, quite quite a large leap for us. So what happened this week in the market? Something happened in the market this week? Wait. The markets. Yes. Uh, let's talk about the stock market represented by the S&P 500 stock index, otherwise affectionately known as SPX. Uh, what happened in the market this week? Not much. It was up 0.87%, which is interesting. Uh, and I'll show you why in a minute. It closed at 4169.48. Now, there is this sense, at least in the media and in the people I talk to, that the market is down, that we're in a bear market. That Let's look at that for a second. Yeah, I mean, all the headlines I see are talking about the, the how we're down and, and how yeah, horrible I, things are. And- I, I just read that this is the longest bear market since some time. Uh, like it was really a severe thing. The point is, by most definitions, and, and there's no official definition, we are not even in a bear market right now. But it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. Um, so far this year, the S&P 500 is up 8.6%. Now, think about that just a minute. That is higher than the average return it's had in the 20th century for the whole year. So that's good. Um it's 46% higher than it was three years ago. So if you're a long-term investor and you uh, had an S&P 500 index fund that tracked it perfectly, I don't know what any of them do, but it, it's either say you had one, you would look at the value of it and it was up around 50% over the last three years. Now you add that together and you start saying 50% in three years, how's that for a long-term rate of return? It's superb. Again, people think we're in a, de- in a bear market. They think the market is down. They think they're crying in their beer if they have beer. And yet the market is up dramatically if you look at it that way. It's down 16% from the record high in January of 2022. And that's what they look at it. If you measure from the top, the most recent top, the market is down 16%. If you go back and measure based on time over a whole long series of times, it's up a bunch. So it's entirely up to the observer whether the market is up or down at this point. I see it as up, but... uh, You're never going to sell any advertisement. You have to be... Really, negative. really negative to sell advertising. Yeah. So you got to, well, the, at least if you say the market is up, say it in a grouchy way, because then somebody might click on some advertisers. Yeah. And I, I just read an article, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal that referred to this being the worst bear market, in, I don't know, since 1973 or something like the longest bear market. Man, people are grasping at straws <laughs> for bad news. It's really, when you look at what is a bear market, what is a bull market, there is no universal definition. There are kind of commonly held definitions that a bear market begins when you're down 20% from the top. And a bull market begins when you're above the bottom of a bear, but you don't know what the bottom of the bear is until you're out of the bear. Yeah, I just read an article that suggested that a bull market begins when the S&P 500 is up 20% from a recent low point. But that's a new definition. I've never heard that one yeah, before. Yeah, I hadn't heard it before, but it, it's Might as well. At least. Might, as, Might well. as well. So we're 4%, we're at 16%. We need 4 more percent. And then it will be officially in a bull market according to that definition. But well, there is no official Yeah, according to so. other definitions, they just measure from the bottom of the market and say, if we haven't had any significant bear market downturns since then, we're in a bull market, as, so long as we're up from the down. Yeah. Who depends. knows? Anyway. It's all perspective. And it is. Everything's relative. We just do relative. a lot of measuring of a lot of things that we didn't used to measure before 
And so we have astonishing. This is the highest the market's been since yesterday. Whoa. Uh, headlines. Yes. Uh, Did you know that never before in history have we experienced a Saturday, April 29th, 2023? We're breaking every record available. This is the first time in the history of the world that we have ever had a Saturday, April 29th, 2023. There. Sorry. Back to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's move on to the rest of the market out there. The U.S. Treasury note, the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, which is the benchmark for most uh, longer-term loans. Last week, it was 3.57%. This week, it's 3.44%, which doesn't sound like a big difference. It isn't. The interesting thing is that this the 10-year note interest rate has been gradually sliding down. It's it's pretty much in a narrow band, but it's it's lower than it has been. Now, at the same time, the two-month, three-month, four-month, and six-month Treasury bills are all yielding on an annualized basis above 5%. So there we have a classic inverted yield curve. It is pretty severely inverted, uh, has been for some time. The and quick definition gets- of that is when the long-term rates, so like you have a 30-year loan, Traditionally, those rates are higher than a payday loan or, well, no, not a payday loan. Those are absurd. Uh, than a short-term loan from the bank. Usually, those yeah. loans are very, very low interest. They're backwards I, right now. I went to finance a car last year. We could have paid cash, but I was looking. I wanted to know what they do for finance. And I was astonished to note that the longer your term on the loan, the lower the interest rates got. That's backwards. Uh, which is just plain weird. So I did my financing. And I stretched it out as far as I could because I got an absurdly low interest rate on it. Uh, and that's the upside down world we're in economically based on the traditions of the stock market, the bond market, and everything else over the last half century in weird territory. Anyway, the 10-year U.S. Treasury is yielding at 3.44 um, as the world continues to be upside down based on traditional economic numbers. West Texas Intermediate Crude, WTI, ended our business week, it trades all through the weekend, but it's 76.68 per barrel. That is roughly roughly half the highest cost it got to, which was about a year ago. In other words, it was well uh, one year ago, West Texas Intermediate Crude was up above $100. And, and it's not anymore. And that's just one of those weird things that's going on. Yeah. So that 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 is... Uh, at the same time, diesel prices are coming down and people are, mm-hmm. there was a Wall Street Journal headline piece that said diesel prices dropping. Bad news for the economy. Well, everything's everything's bad news for the economy, except it. Right. Um, everything is news. And the worse the news is, the better the readership. Uh, the There was a, 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 a movie, uh, a musical, so that's a bit of a warning from about 30 years ago, go called Newsies. And it was early New York, early 20th century, and the um, the, the best seller. Get back. Uh, yeah. Well, I couldn't hear you when you were saying anything either. So I let's let me. Uh, why don't we call? Why don't you call right back? Okay, I will. Um, so this this movie Newsies uh, on a slow news day. It's, it's about these kids selling newspapers on the street, and on a slow news day. They couldn't get people to buy newspapers. So they see that there's a trash fire out on an island that um, killed some pigeons. And so one of the newsies starts screaming about fire killing dozens on island. 
uh, read all about it, and people start buying the newspaper. And it's absolutely the truth of the world as we know it, that bad news sells papers. Concept there on bad news sells is absolutely true. So selling newspapers, selling advertisements requires bad news. Even if you don't have some, you can make some. We did have some wind and some storm yesterday, and it may have taken out some capacity someplace. I'm very anyway. good at, at saving you from that. I can break wind like nobody I have ever met. Oh, bad. Strong. Anyway, there's a lot going on out there, and a lot of it centers around the fact that First Republic Bank is teetering on the, it's interesting, bankruptcy. Yeah. It's teetering on, on receivership. It's still crawling along slowly. I thought it and actually went into receivership, but I no. guess it's that was a uh, somebody got ahead of themselves in their storytelling. It's unfounded rumor. The Treasury lined up a couple of banks to buy it, and apparently it fell through, and now nobody's there to buy it. And there's something to, I want to talk about in just a second. Here's the thing about banks. If you have more than $250,000 per uniquely identified account in a bank, then that money above $250,000 is not covered by FDIC insurance. It may or may not, you may or may not be made whole, and to what degree you'll be made whole if the bank fails. The problem with that is there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people who have more than $250,000 per account in the bank. We live in an affluent time, and companies want to put their money in the bank for the purpose of being able to pay their employees and so on. That's And their light bills and other and, things. And all of that. And when you're talking about a company that's worth billions of dollars, where do they put their cash so that they can pay everybody and do everything they need to do? And banks are made for that type of transaction. Can you put it someplace else? Sure. But there are different risks in different places. Banks function on a concept that they borrow money from their depositors in the short term and pay them a low interest rate in short in a, with a short duration, a short period until it matures like a CD. Then they loan it out at longer rates. And since the longer rates are normally higher than the shorter rates, the profit a bank earns comes from the difference. For example, let's just say you bought a car, you had a five-year loan, and it's at 6%. If you go to put money in the bank to deposit it, you'd be really good to get 3% right now. So if you get 3%, if the bank is paying you 3%, but you're paying the bank 5% on your you car loan. You said 6 so let's keep it. 6% on the car loan. There's a 3%. Basically, the bank is earning twice the interest on loan that they are paying you. Now, two things get squirrely here. If short-term rates are higher than long-term rates, and they are right now, the inverted yield curve, the bank, in order to retain your deposit, is probably going to offer you over 4% right now because you can get that in money market funds. The difficulty then pops up that their margin, the difference between a long-term auto loan or something similar, and the amount they're paying their depositors is very small. And because it's very small, their profitability is in question. Then you get a compounding effect. As interest rates go up, and they have been going up in the longer term, the 10-year plus, if the bank had excess money and it didn't want to loan it to people like you and me because we are pretty good, by definition, we are a higher risk than the treasury. And they put their money in 10 and 20-year and even 30-year treasury bonds where they can get a high interest rate so they can pay you low interest rate and they have a profit. As interest rates have gone up, the market value of those bonds has gone down. So if a lot of people say, hey, I want my money out of the bank now, and the bank is forced to sell long-term treasuries, it'll probably sell them at a loss. And that's what happened to SVB. That's what's happening at Republic Signature. 
And it's going on across the country. And I suspect we're going to see a lot more of it rather than a lot less of it. For instance, insurance companies run extensively on long-term treasuries. They gather the interest from long-term treasuries and they pay it back out in interest on annuities, for example. If people start, if people are looking at their annuity they bought with a guaranteed 2 or 3% interest rate. And we're not talking about an immediate annuity where, they're, where, where you can't get it out. We're talking about what's called a deferred annuity. And they realize that they can go to a treasury money market fund and get a higher interest rate. If they start doing that, then you're going to see insurance companies start to fail who do not have the FDIC to bank them. You're, you're seeing banks fail for exactly that reason. People are chasing the higher interest rate. And when they go to liquidate from the bank, the bank has to sell something that it bought earlier where they're now at a loss because interest rates have gone up. We haven't seen this happen in a long, long time. It happened about 50 years ago in spades, big time, 45, 50 years ago. Fortunately, I, fortunately or unfortunately, I was in the business then and I watched it happen and it was kind of scary, but it's happening again. And we're going, I suspect we're going to see major financial institutions fail. And just like about 40 years ago, they were dropping like flies. Uh, too big to fail was popped up at the time. First Continental, I think, Continental Bank out of Oklahoma City failed. And it was just this quick scramble to prop it up with federal money because when an, when an institution that large fails, it doesn't just fail on its own because other organizations are tied into it. As a matter of fact, the 2007 through 2009, that crisis was triggered when an insurance company couldn't pay its annuitants. It's that simple. AIG. AIG. And there was no, the, the philosophy at the time was, we're not going to bail out AIG. Why are we not going to bail out AIG? Well, it's an insurance company and the federal government really doesn't have any business going and bailing out an insurance company. The problem with AIG's failure is it started a cascade of failures in other places. Let me give you an example. If you have in your 401k a stable value fund, which pays interest rates considerably higher than you can get at the bank normally, it is composed of GICs, guaranteed insurance contracts. Those are insurance companies paying each other loans they, or... yeah. Paying you interest on your loan to them. Yeah, you're in your guaranteed um, stable value fund is general. They are mostly invested in insurance company obligations. Insurance companies are not backed by the FDIC, and we've been saying this for years. But I think we're probably going to see it happen in the near future. As interest rates have risen and the value of the portfolios of these insurance companies have fallen. As long as you don't want your money, you get a good rate on it. The moment you want your money, it's going to change things. One, one good piece of news there, and this is important, in the 401k market, in the market of people's retirement plans, not in the IRAs, just in the institutionally managed big retirement plans that are employer-sponsored, we didn't see the kind of outflow from places that we saw in the rest of the market. A big chunk of the market, we didn't see sales going on when the market crashed. Part of that is because 401ks have been, become so monstrously complicated to change in any rational way. If you wanted to change your investments in your 401k, prepare for an exercise in frustration. That frustration probably saved a lot of people a lot of money at the bottom of the market. Uh, there is a There was a fantastic thing that happened in the UK where they dropped the suicide rate in one year by 30% by bubble wrapping acetaminophen, that's Tylenol, 
That was the number one suicide methodology in the UK at that point. People would just take a whole bunch of Tylenol, which is not a good way to go, just as a side note. It's really not a good way to go. You die with the worst hangover you've ever had. Well, they dropped the suicide rate by making it more difficult by bubble wrapping each individual pill. Yeah. 30% drop. I mean, you just put yourself in the psychology of the person, very depressed, very upset. I've had enough. It's all over. I can't take this any bubble wrap. Oh, never mind. And that's the truth of what's going on when you're terrified. A little frustration causes you to get to stop what you're trying to do that will likely hurt you. And 401k markets are a great example of this. There was actually Nobel Prizes given on this. I think it was in 2018. It may have been 2019 uh, to a pair of Americans for executive and employment compensation methodologies. Well, that included how to make 401ks a little bit complicated so that people didn't sell out at the bottom of the market. And it worked. This bear market didn't see a whole bunch of 401k sales. So the stable value funds in those same 401ks were not seeing a rush to other cash positions because they don't have any other options in their 401k. They have one cash position and that's it. So that's one of those things. You said they have a great return until you need your money. And most people don't liquidate their 401k to cash and then go spend it because the tax consequence is just too big. So there's some silver lining on this really big dark cloud and yeah yeah back to you well suffice to say you need to be careful and look where you've got your money commingled with other people's money and store it um on a, on a mutu- go, go ahead i'm sorry Thank mutual you. funds are a place where we pool our money together they're protected under the investment company act of 1940 it didn't give them it doesn't protect their market value but it does mean that the creditors of the companies that put this together and are managing it and are doing whatever for it, if they, if, if the company goes defunct, bankrupt, in liquidation, whatever you want to call it, in receivership, your money, if it's covered under the Investment Company Act of 1940, your shares at least, are not available to the creditors of the company to take. They're yours. That's a good protection. But you need to, it's really important if you've got your money someplace, whether it's in a bank or an insurance company or a mutual fund or a brokerage firm, to know what happens if any or all of the entities that are associated with your money or your investment, what happens if they fail? What happens to the, what you think you own? That is something that people haven't looked at in a long time. People generally don't look at. And when they do, it scares them silly. And that's how you get runs on the bank when suddenly people realize that if this thing goes under, there's nobody backing it, my money. And that's a scary thought because if that happened across the board as it did in the 1930s, We'll have a lot of banks fail, a lot of insurance companies fail, and it will be a really unpleasant event. Although recently, the government of the United States has recognized that allowing a major uh, commingling entity with a lot of people's money in it to fail is a bad idea. They did that with Lehman Brothers. They didn't bail them out. They just let them fail, and we got a major financial crisis. Bear Stearns, yeah. They're going to – and so the Treasury and the FDIC – and the comptroller of the currency and everybody else involved does their best to see that no major financial institution fails and leaves its depositors on the hook. It's, if that gets ahead of them, we're in for some rough road ahead. There's basically two big threats I see in the economy right now. One is rise, higher interest rates have called the portfolio of some major institutions to sink in value so that if their depositors 
whether it be insurance companies or banks or whatever, start taking their money back in, as cash. We could generate a crisis. The other thing, which doesn't sound, which really the same thing, and that is the uh, government of the United States, dire- directed by the House of Representatives, all spending bills have to originate in the House of Representatives, has told the Treasury, you will spend this much money this year. You are obligated by law to spend that money. But they, there's a, the Republicans in the House have concluded that unless there's some really interesting and unpleasant things happen, uh, they're not going to authorize the Treasury to borrow the money to cover the money that they pass bills requiring the Treasury to spend. That is, frankly, the single scariest thing on the economic horizon I can see. And I if in totally, fact totally happens, agree with that. If, in fact, the United States government stops paying people and entities to whom it has a legal obligation to pay, the government effectively is in default. And at that point, the foundation of literally the world's wealth is in U.S. Treasury securities. Not gold, not silver, not any of the other stuff you might think of, not the euro, not the ruble or the remindy, it is in U.S. Treasury securities. If the United States government defaults on those Treasury securities, it will make what happened at Lehman Brothers look like a cakewalk. And the fact that the members of Congress are threatening that, threatening to basically cause the United States to default unless they get what they want, is scary. Um, it's we We did this once before. Service members weren't paid. Uh, the government shut down and, but it came, but the Congress suddenly jumped in and said, no, this is not good. Let's fix it. Let's just hope that we never get to that position again, because that is one of the scariest things in the world right now. But if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give fiduciary investment advice and, uh, such as that in portfolio management to people of relatively high net worth. Uh, we've got a uh, voicemail waiting during the weekend, normal times, normal business hours. We have real life people rather than a phone tree. Uh, if you'd like to ask us to talk to you about stuff in person, uh, the local number is 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that line toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our uh, website, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can see our famously made-for-radio faces, our wonderful staff, read about our philosophy, read our newsletters going back a long ways, and sign up for them. You can get them for free. They will be emailed to you on Friday evenings. Uh, you can contact us through the contact form or email at Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. That's Tango Papa Whiskey Charlie or the personal wealth coach. And until next hour, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back with more then.